This is Connected Nation, a podcast focused on all things broadband. From closing the digital divide to improving your internet speeds, we talk technology topics that impact all of us, our families, and our communities. On today's podcast, we're focused on a new program that is providing discounts on internet service and related equipment to individuals and families across the U.S. We'll talk with the press secretary for the Federal Communications Commission about who is eligible, what you should know about applying for the cost savings program, and just how long those discounts will be available. I'm Jessica Denson, and this is Connected Nation. I'm Jessica Denson. Today we're talking with Paloma Perez, who serves as the press secretary for the FCC. The agency is leading the Emergency Broadband Benefit Program, which is focused on helping those households that are still struggling without access to high-speed internet. Welcome, Paloma. Thanks so much, Jess, for having me. Really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, we are excited to talk to you. This program is so important. Um, so many people are still struggling without access, as um, all of us know now from the pandemic, how critical that is. But before we get into the program and dive into what people need to know, I like to give our listeners a little bit background on our guest. So um, I'm going to share a little bit about your bio and then we'll jump in. Miss um, Perez joined the FCC's media relations team after serving as communications director for New Mexico's Congresswoman, Torres Small. Among other positions, she she also previously served as Deputy Communications Director and Legislative Aide to Congressman V.C. of Texas. Ms. Perez earned a bachelor's degree from Swarthmore College and attended American University's Women and Politics Institute. She is a native of Dripping Springs, Texas. Texas is my home state, so I appreciate that. She is the daughter of Peruvian and Mexican immigrants and a first-generation college graduate. Uh, I mentioned that latter part uh, Paloma, because it does give you some unique perspective when working for and helping underserved or unserved populations. The fact that you come from a family of immigrants and are a first generation college graduate here in the U.S. Um, when announcing your appointment, acting FCC chairman Jessica Rosenworcel mentioned that she was excited to, quote, see how the FCC can better engage with the Spanish speaking news media and communities they serve. So, I'm going to give the floor to you now. Share why you believe that's a critical need within the within the communities currently and how your background background really serves your current role. Well, Jess, I think you kind of previewed a little bit of uh, the lens I bring to this work, but speaking specifically to the Emergency Broadband Benefit Program, I mean, there are so many statistics I could read off right now about how uh, communities of color, Latinx families, folks, uh, working class people are the ones actually really on the side of the digital divide that address affordability, right? There is obviously the uh, digital divide issue. I think we kind of see it in, in two camps. One, the deployment issue where there are rural communities or just parts of this country where there is no physical infrastructure to deliver broadband service. But on the other hand, you have folks who maybe there are, you know, several providers in their area or one, but the, their budget doesn't really allow them to make full act full take full advantage of that. So ultimately, I think when you're looking at programs like the Emergency Broadband Benefit Program, you are really looking to connect with those communities who, for some reason or not, you know, are, are struggling to make that uh, pay those extra fifty dollars on their bill. Where they making that choice to pay for rent or pay for groceries instead of being able to get online and be able to fully participate. So. You know, with that lens, uh, we've been really intentional about how we're engaging those communities. So using my Spanish speaking ability to sp speak to trusted news outlets like Univision and Telemundo to be able to deliver information directly in the language that 
uh, the constituents you're looking to reach are going to be best understood. I think being able to work with trusted partners, also like LULAC and HTTP and other organizations who have on the ground experience with um, Latino advocates and also kind of grassroots groups who have been throughout the whole pandemic ha- helping folks take advantage of these new programs that both the state and federal government have created. Um, so really been partnering with them. We've signed over 11,000 outreach partners throughout the course of just two months when we first officially announced the the program would start. Um, so I think that in of itself speaks to the interest there is on the ground of a variety of stakeholders from faith-based groups to the Boys and Girls Club to Meals on Wheels, which uh, just, you know, oftentimes are serving Hispanic communities at a higher rate than um, other populations. So for me, that's something that I think about all the time. I was the kid who was helping my mom fill out tax forms when she was 12 and like helping her figure out how to navigate the United States. So I am that I have that experience at top of mind and all I do both professionally and personally. So for me, being able to do this work is both the privilege of, you know, uh, being able to apply that experience to the benefit of folks who I know are really looking to take advantage of the opportunities that are here in the United States, both for themselves and for their children. So I think that's something that we're both proud of this program. I think has shown a immense interest. I think in the first week we signed up a million households and we know there's plenty more that we want to reach. So really appreciate the opportunity to come on and be able to help spread the word. And as I mentioned, I'm Spanish speaking. So for me, that's something that I've always really um, considered of. And I think this is reflected in our outreach materials too. We've translated them into English, Spanish, several AAPI kind of dominant uh, languages, Vietnamese, Tagala, Burmese, I could name off a whole, a whole laundry list of folks, but I think that that's the intention behind it. That's kind of the the lens we bring into it, that we recognize that uh, there is a diverse community out there that needs this connection to get online and be able to participate in success today, both during the pandemic and after it. Connected Nation, we have our saying, our tagline is everyone belongs in a connected nation. And that includes all people, no matter their background, whether um, they come from another country and they've come here as an immigrant or if it's someone who's struggling financially. So we applaud the fact that I have seen a lot of PR materials that are in all the different languages that you mentioned. It's not just reaching one population, which um, I really appreciate. And we as an organization and a nonprofit profit are excited about to see. So we appreciate that lens that you are bringing things through. And I think that there is something to be said in general when it comes to government agencies that you should be representative of those that you help and those that you seek to to work with. Um, what are some challenges or opportunities that you see still that are out there with that lens on? I think it's a, a challenge on the front that one, I think always recognizing that there is linguistic diversity, even within obviously a, a language population. I think that's one thing we always are, are really open and cognizant of, of recognizing if folks are seeing that the Spanish that maybe we first use isn't the most uh, effective in their community. You know, for example, like I recognize that the Spanish spoken in Miami may be more Cuban dominant in New York, maybe more Puerto Rican in Texas. There might be a mix of both uh, Mexican influence, but also Tejano and Chicano influences from California. Um, so I think recognizing that there is a lingu- linguistic diversity that obviously our materials can't always fully capture, but we're doing our best to be as responsive as possible. So that also applies to our API communities. But I think ultimately our, our biggest challenge or really where we're trying to focus our efforts is making sure that folks recognize this is a program that is trusted, that it is not some scam trying to take advantage of people, you know, desperation during this tough economic time. Um, so really that's where we are leaning on our kind of trusted on the ground partners who already have those relationships and they've been 
so responsive to the webinars that we put together, to all the outreach material that we've been sharing, you know, over the past couple of weeks, and also being really forthcoming with any uh, consumer experiences they're hearing on the ground too, like, you know, folks finding this particular step challenging the application process, or, uh, you know, maybe there's some technology issues as far as like not fully familiar with how to fill out the online form, for example. Um, so there's just some of that that also we've, we've been working really hard to address because we recognize that it sometimes it's not just the linguistic uh, challenges, but also it's the familiarity with filling out online applications or, um, you know, maybe they feel more comfortable call talk, calling us on the phone, which we also have our hotline there too. Um, the folks can reach out to as well. So we've, we've tried to really be responsive to the fact that folks consume information in a variety of different ways and also may feel the most comfortable sharing the information with us in a variety of different ways as well. So trying to be responsive and be inclusive um, is really been, I think, the the beating drum that's been motivating this work. Because ultimately, we know there are millions of families that will benefit from being able to have some of this kind of temporary assistance. And while we recognize the program won't last forever, we do want to use it as a point to, to make the case that there is a need in this country, despite that it is 2021, despite that I think a lot of folks take for granted who, who have access to the internet on a regular basis that there is a giant population still within this country that are not taking full advantage and aren't able to fully participate in modern day success because they're they're locked out or they're just able to um, as easily access some of the, the services that have shifted online to like telehealth and remote learning and, and et cetera. Okay, let's dive in a little more then on the Emergency Broadband Benefit Program and what exactly it is and how people apply that type of thing. Um, it's a $3.2 billion program. And as you said, it is a temporary program until it's, I believe it's till the money runs out or six months after the health emergency is ended. Um, share why the FCC views having access to broadband, which is just another term for high-speed internet. Why do you feel it's so critical to families and communities, whether they're Latino or Latina or whether they're... Um, um, whether they're immigrants or whether they've been here for, you know, ever or whatever, whatever background they have, why do you feel this is so critical to families? This pandemic, I think, highlighted for folks everywhere, I think, in this country who maybe before saw high-speed internet access as a nice-to-have. And ultimately, these last 14 or so months have proven they're a need to have. It's no longer just, you know, I'm able to connect with friends. It's a, I'm able to stay connected to my doctor. I'm able to seek new employment opportunities. I'm able to um, make sure my child is able to participate in their schoolwork regardless. Because, you know, we've seen some reports that although we are eventually going to shift back to more in-person classes, there is still, you know, a potential that we can make use of these new technologies to continue accommodating children who may be able to be better suited, um, better receive instruction in person or, or sorry, online. And in addition to in person or snow days also might look a little different too. Mm. So I think just having that in mind that this, this pandemic has highlighted how internet access is so critical, but these new shifts in technology aren't going away anytime soon. So for folks who found themselves really struggling to keep up or be able to find their next opportunity, you know, job wise, this is, an area of focus for us because we recognize that without having the ability to, to fully take advantage of all the opportunities the internet presents, you're, you're really limiting what you can do today in 2021. Uh, let's touch on who is eligible and what they can get. Can you share a little bit about uh, the parameters of the program? No problem. Ultimately, we, the, the way this program has been set up, it's, Coming from Congress, Congress gave us uh, some pretty wide eligibility criteria, though, given that 
the pandemic affected so many different populations. So there's several ways you can qualify and you only have to qualify with one of these. Uh, first of all, if you are at or 135% the federal poverty level, so if you qualify for Medicaid or SNAP or any type of federal assistance program, you're eligible for the $50 a month internet bill at, uh, discount. If you are on tribal lands or qualifying tribal lands, that discount goes up to $75. If you, another category, which you could potentially receive the benefit is if you, a child or someone in your household received a federal Pell Grant. Another one, if your child is receives free or reduced lunch, if they experience, if you or anyone in your household experienced significant uh, loss of income, as long as that was your salary that you you know report on your taxes every year um, was ninety nine thousand for a single person or one hundred ninety eight thousand for a joint filers. You'd be eligible, and you can prove that by showing that you applied for unemployment assistance, that you received unemployment assistance, that you have a furlough notice that you can use documentation proof. Um, and then also, lastly, if you qualify for any uh, current you know low income internet offerings that a local provider may uh, now have on the menu, it's also another way you can qualify too. So there are several ways you can qualify and you only have to meet one. Um, some other things for people to know is that not all providers are taking part. Um, so you, you really need to look on the website to see if your provider is taking part or can you apply both ways? Can you apply through your provider or apply through the FCC? Or I believe it's through USAC, correct? Um, how do people apply for it? Um, and just, I will, let me just pause real quick. Um, uh, we will put a, a link to the, um, to where everybody can apply and look up the providers and those kinds of things in the description of this podcast. But what should people know when they're looking to see, uh, if their provider is part of this? No. And I think that's a great flag, Jess, that ultimately we've done some really robust outreach to, uh, internet service providers to to get them to sign up. We have over 900 across the country, but recognize it doesn't cover everyone. And so there's still time. So if you have your local ISP that you want to encourage to participate, they can. There's no cutoff date to to come on in and join the fun. Um, but ultimately for the consumer and someone who's interested and like, oh, hey, I actually meet with the eligibility requirements. What do I do next? There are three different ways you can go about it. One, if your provider is participating in the program, which you can find a lot of this information at FCC.gov forward slash broadband benefit. There's tons of resources there, but one of them is you can find a list of the broadband providers in your area that are participating. So you can go directly to them. For example, if you're already a customer, you can go call their local help number and ask that you would like to enroll in the emergency broadband benefit program. And if, as long as they're participating, they should be able to help you there. Two, if you'd rather go around them and go directly to us and then go to them, then go to a participating ISP. You can go to getemergencybroadband.org. There you can apply directly and follow our application process. For many folks, it can take less than 10 minutes to fill out the application. Um, and some folks will even receive an automatic uh, notice saying that they're in. And that next step is just to choose a qualifying and participating ISP. Um, and then lastly, if that's not a great option for you, you can also call us at one 510 and reach us there and we can help you figure out how to get a mail-in application, which you can also download at getemergencybroadband.org and mail it back to us. And we'll get back to you with letting you know um, whether you've been accepted and can now apply that broadband benefit to your monthly bill. So there's three different ways to do it. And uh, it's really trying to make it as accessible as possible, given that we know that we're trying to reach folks who are not online and getting online, maybe then applying through a internet portal isn't the easiest way of doing it. So trying to give as many options as possible there.
Um, this program has had a lot of response. I saw that you guys put out a, at the FCC put out a press release on Friday that you've already had over a million people apply. Was that surprising or did that fit with what you thought would happen? I mean, in many ways, it's it's what we had suspected. Um, I mean, we are very pleased with the, the response. I think a million in one week is just a proof point that yeah. well, we already kind of knew to be true. There were plenty of families and plenty of Americans and plenty of folks living in this country who, uh, for a variety of reasons, haven't been able to full take advantage of the Internet. And affordability and the price tag was a big barrier for many families. And I think seeing that kind of immediate response and flood of, of interest, both not only just in applications, but also other folks who maybe don't qualify for this program, but are asking us, is there other ways that we can lower the cost of internet? Um, I think in and of itself demonstrates that the need is there. And we also recognize that this is not, that's not the end. For us, a million is great in one week, but we know there are plenty of families across the country that qualify and can take full advantage of this new benefit that is going to exist for at least the next couple of several months um, and ultimately want to show that there is a, a, a variety of geographic locations represented. We've had, you know, enrollments from across the country and um, every single state and even our territories and DC. So it just ultimately to, for us at the FCC is a, a case study of, of what we've been saying for a long time. And what the acting chairwoman has been saying for a long time is that we need to get a hundred percent of us online. Oh, we a hundred percent agree with that. And uh, acting chair Rosenworcel, she has been very active when it comes to digital inclusion. And uh, we have definitely applauded that. That's uh, we'd love to see that. And it's fantastic. Um, just one more question and uh, I will let you go. I know you have, I'm sure you got a lot of work to do with this. Um, the FCC works on a lot of programs that impact and help communities and families with this type of access. Are there any other current or upcoming programs that you'd want to call attention to right now? It's a great question because it's a, it's, it's a great time to be at the FCC. I always say, I'm like, I came on such an exciting period because Congress really recognized that the, digital divide is wide and the emergency broadband benefit program was one you know kind of solution they offered to to the american consumer that the fcc is tasked with kind of administering but another one that the chair the acting chairwoman has been passionate and vocal about for a very long time is addressing the homework gap which i imagine some of your your listeners are familiar with that you know so even before the pandemic i think about 70 percent of school work the children are assigned requires some internet component you know a research project or or something they need to to look up in order to complete their nightly schoolwork. and for folks who at home don't have a broadband connection that was really tough and it was leaving a lot of students behind and congress recognized that this pandemic took that to the next level and that homework gap was becoming a educational gap and gave us, you know, our task us, funded us with about $7.1 billion for the emergency connectivity fund, which will help schools and libraries be able to purchase hotspots and, you know, other type of Wi-Fi routers and, um, you know, more individualized equipment to be able for students to loan out or, uh, sorry, students to check out and for libraries to loan out uh, to be able to, to meet that need. So we just adopted those rules for that program a couple of weeks ago. So we're still in the process of standing up the actual um, application process for schools and libraries and et cetera. But I think that is something that will ultimately benefit uh, students, their families, you know, local community members who I'm 
speaking for myself, like I wouldn't have been able to get to college if it wasn't for my local library's internet connection. I grew up in an area of Texas where very, very rural um, and there wasn't a high speed internet access available to me. So I relied on going to a library to be able to fill out my college applications. And so I know there are plenty of other folks doing similar things to fill out job apps or to be able to, to learn their next skill, to, to take opportunities that, you know, maybe they have shifted, you know, skill sets or careers during this time. Um, so that program will be is on the horizon and we're excited to continue to work with our schools and libraries who are pretty familiar with another program that similarly um, has a similar goal, but is a, a reoccurring program, the E-rate program that's been around since the 1980s. Um, but this is a $7.1 billion injection into making sure our schools and libraries have the tools, the equipment, um, the ability to be able to continue to be the community hub they are and help folks and families stay connected, uh, both for schoolwork purposes and for others. I would like to echo that statement about libraries. I do a lot of stories with rural areas and I keep hearing over and over that the library, people are parked in the library parking lots to get Wi-Fi late at night, that that's where they go if they have to print anything, do anything. So um, I think you're dead on with that. Um, we would love to have you back to get an update on the Emergency Connectivity Fund and other things that the FCC is up to, uh, to help connect Americans to the resources and access they need. I, we'd love to have you back as things develop and come on, if you would be open to that. I'd love to. Well, uh, thank you, Paloma. We really appreciate having you today. And um, I will, we'll, hopefully we'll be talking again soon. I have no doubt. I think there's plenty for us to keep in contact about. <laughs> I think so, too. Again, our guest today has been Paloma Perez, who serves as the press secretary for the Federal Communications Commission. I'll include links that provide additional resources and details on the Emergency Broadband Benefit Program, including that phone number that you can share with people in the description of this podcast. I'm Jessica Denson. Thanks for listening to Connected Nation. If you like our show and want to know more about us, head to ConnectedNation.org or look for the latest episodes of Connected Nation on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Pandora, or Spotify. <laughs>